The Old Testament reading is the really, really famous text from Micah chapter 2, where uh, the prophecy is that the one who's going to rule over Judah will come from Bethlehem. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose origin is from of old, from ancient days. Therefore he shall give them up until the time when she who was in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel. And he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. When the Assyrian comes into our land and treads in our palaces, then we will raise against him seven shepherds and eight princes of men. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Epistles from Hebrews chapter 10. Uh, consequently, uh, which is unfortunate because that consequently like indicates that there's something that comes before that, which is kind of important. We are, this is going to be the sermon text, and I'm going to have us read the verses that come before that so we can see actually what's leading up to that. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body have you prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings, you've taken no pleasure. And then I said, Behold, I've come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. When he said above, you've neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings, and these are offered according to the law, then he added, Behold, I've come to do your will. He abolishes the first in order to establish the second. And by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the first chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. In those days Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country, to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Could you turn, uh, could you turn with me to Hebrews chapter 10 in your pew Bibles or in your Bibles if you bring your Bible with you? If, you, if you're looking at the pew Bible, it's on page 893. We're going to look at, uh, verses 1 through 10. I think that our reading is verses 5 through 10. But like I said, there's that consequently in there. Or you're looking at the NIV here, it's going to say therefore. And it'd be helpful if we saw like what was preceding the therefore so you know what the therefore means. So, I'm going to read uh, Hebrews 10, 1 through 10, and then we'll talk about it for a few minutes. The law is only a shadow of good things. Now, what he means by the law there is not just the law in general. He means specifically the sacrificial system, the sacrificial part of the law. You you know, uh, slaughtering animals to pay for sins. The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never, by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year, Make perfect those who draw near to worship. If it could, if the sacrifices could make you perfect, would they not have stopped being offered? 
For the worshipers would have been cleansed once for all and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. But those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins because it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Therefore, there's our therefore in the ESV consequently. Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. With burnt offerings and sin offerings, you were not pleased. And then I said, Christ said, here I am. It's written about me in the scroll. I've come to do your will, O God. Now, he's going to review that quote there. That quote's from Psalm chapter 40. And and the the preacher of Hebrews is going to review that quote. He's going to say, so first he said, sacrifices and offerings, burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not desire. That's a quote from verse 5. Nor were you pleased with them although the law required them to be made. Then he said, he says, jump down to the very last line in verse 7. Then he said, here I am, I've come to do your will. He sets aside the first to establish the second. And by that will, we've been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Okay, so let's talk about the sacrificial system for a little bit this morning. The sacrificial system is the way that the Old Testament people of God had to get right with God. If you sinned, you could go and you could have an animal sacrificed and that would pay to cover up your sins. Right. Now, you, you and I, of course, uh, we don't do that anymore. Uh, uh, but we still have our own system of self-justification. Now, here's, i got to make this point. When we talk about self-justification, we could talk about it in like a sort of a narrow religious sense. We're like, the, not all of you are believers, but for those of you who are believers, you would say, okay, so I'm not justified by my own works. What I mean is, I can't get to heaven by doing good works. This is true. But when the Bible says, don't justify yourself, it actually means something broader. It means your whole life. It doesn't just mean like the plan for getting to heaven when you die. We, we truncate it and take away its power. Here's what it means. Don't justify yourself by your own works. Don't try to, don't try to make yourself, don't try to carve out a space in this world where you are worthy of being loved or accepted by your own works. Now, we all do that. Those of you who are believers will say, well, I would never, ever try to, to get to heaven by my works. I've been taught since I was a little kid, and then in confirmation, and then in Sunday school, and then all kinds of sermons about don't just, you're not justified by works. But what, what, what the Bible, what Paul talks about, what the, what the uh, preacher of Hebrews is talking about when he says, don't be, don't be justified by works, is don't, don't use the things that you do and who you are to claim worthiness for yourself. And we all do this. We all have a sacrificial system. Things that we do that we think gets us back credit. It's not going to get us to heaven. We know that. But it's how I wake up in the morning and look at myself in the mirror and think, you know what, you're going to be all right today. Or it's the standard by which I look at myself in the mirror and say, you're not going to make it. You're not living up to the standard. There's a sacrificial system. There's a system of self-justification There are things that we can do to make ourselves right, all of us, and we shouldn't do those things. So what I want to do is, from the first part of the text, verses 1 through 4, talk about, there's four, four, in here there are four bad things about the sacrificial system. There, There are four things about the sacrificial system that will not work in our lives. And the first one is this. It's a sacrifice. This is, there's a reason why it's called a sacrifice is because, well, for them, they take an animal, which they've purchased or they've raised, they put a bunch of hard work into it, and they give it 
to the priest to sacrifice, and it's gone. And what do they get out of it? The writer of Hebrews says, not much. The blood of bulls and goats could never take away sins. The sacrifices that you make to justify yourself are just that. They're sacrifices. Now, I'm going to give some examples, and for some of you, you're going to be like, oh, that, that's dumb, that's, that doesn't make any sense, that's not me. And for some of you, you might, be, you might say, okay, yeah, I can get that. You're going to need to fill in the blank wherever it is that you're trying to get your self-worth from. For some people, it's like, I'm going to be a good golfer. And if you want to be a good golfer, if that's the thing that you want to be able to go to the club and everybody knows, that's the club champion. If that's your thing, it's going to take sacrifice to get there. You're going to have to put a lot of hard work into it to, to becoming good at golf. There's other things that you won't be able to do. You're not going to be able to be as good at tennis as maybe you would like to be. You are not, to maybe get a little bit more serious, you're not going to be able to spend as much time with your wife and your kids or with your husband and your kids or with your friends as you would like if you're determined to be the club champion. Is it bad to be the club champion? No, but that's where you're going to get your self-worth. There's going to be sacrifices made along the way. And then ultimately, of course, being club champion is itself a sacrifice because you're going to die and then someone else is going to be club champion, right? Maybe your thing is like, you are going to get, you are going to get your fulfillment out of your work. And now I know that a bunch of you feel like this. Uh, you can do that, but it's going to take sacrifice. You're going to put a lot of time into a company, either somebody else's company or your own company. And then if you're going to actually like get your self-worth from work, there's going to be sacrifices that you have to make. There's going to be weekends that you're not going to get to take off. Vacations that you're not going to get to go on. Kids' events that you're not going to get to go to. Conversations with your spouse that you're going to have to forego. But if that's what's going to give you self-worth, if that's what it takes for you to say, you know what, I'm contributing to society. I'm okay. That's the sacrifice that you're going to make. But you should know that eventually you're going to die. And your kid's going to get that job, or somebody else is going to get that job, and then it's gone. The sacrificial system is that. It's a sacrifice. You give up something that you've done, that you've worked hard for, and then it's gone. And it never did what you thought it was going to do. It could never, ever cover up your sins, the blood of those bulls and goats. That paycheck, that club championship, being the funniest guy in the room, it could never accomplish what you wanted to accomplish, and you lose all kinds of other things. Now, what am I saying? I'm not saying, of course, don't work hard or don't practice golf. I'm just saying, if you find yourself worth in those things, they're going to be ultimately be sacrifices. Here's the second thing. It's actually, your, your self-justification tools are actually only shadows of the good things that are out there. Look at what verse, look at what verse 1 says, uh, right, right at the beginning of our reading in chapter 10. The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. You're going to do something. You're going to like. You're going to work hard at something because you want to be accepted by people. So I, I, I teach seventh graders, and I see this all the time. They're just like huge bundles of insecurity, and there are all kinds of different ways to try and get. Like this is my niche. Like I'm okay with everybody being the funny guy. That's one way I can crack jokes and make people laugh. Then I feel like I belong. Um, being good at sports. That's another way. And what they want is to belong. They want this sense that people around me think I'm cool or people around me are happy with me. That's actually really, really appropriate. This desire to be valued and be thought of as worthy 
is built into us as human beings. I'm, I'm not telling you at all, like, just forget it. You're not worthy and just embrace it. No, the desire to be worthy and loved is good. I would never tell my seventh graders, you know, you don't need to crack jokes all the time because you shouldn't care if people like you. No, actually, the whole body of Christ means that we were designed to love and be loved, right? But if that's your identity, if that's your worth, you're going to be disappointed. And in fact, that desire to be thought of as worthy, that's a shadow of the worthiness you can only get from God. Like God looks at you guys and he says, in Jesus Christ, you are worthy. I I love you, no questions asked. I already think that you're cool. I already think that you're a good volleyball player. I already think that you're a good businessman. I think that you're the best mom ever. That's all I think of you when I see you. That's what God says to you guys. You don't need to carve out, like, I I just need to make this meal tonight. It's got to be the best meal ever. And if people are disappointed, if nobody says they like it, I'm just going to be sort of crushed and go and think, oh, nobody really cares for me around here. Or if I do this presentation and nobody says to me, you really nailed that presentation, I'm going to be like, oh, did I do something wrong? Did I do something wrong? No, your desire to get worth from people is good, but it can actually only come from God. The sacrificial system will never give you a sense of worth. It's only, that desire is only a shadow of the sense of worth you can get from God. Here's the third thing. Once you get into the sacrificial system, or once you get into what I'm talking about is the self-justification system, where you have to do things to be worthy, that's a cycle you'll never, ever get out of. Look at verse uh, 1, the end of verse 1, and then in verse 2. For this reason, it could never, by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. If it could, would they not have stopped being offered? For the worshipers would have been cleansed once for all and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. If what you do to gain worth for yourself actually worked, you could do it once and then be done with it. But here's the thing. You won the club championship this year. You're just going to have to go out and defend it next year. You made a good presentation at work. You're going to have to make another one. You made a good good meal. You made a good mom move. Your kids are going to look at you in the face five minutes later and say, what have you done for me lately? And you know, your parents know this is true. I could, you know, I could preach a sermon and people are like, oh, that's a good sermon. And then if I preach some horrible sermon the next week, that's what people are going to remember. If you seek your justification out of the things that you do, that's a treadmill that you can never, ever get off of. You, you will never satisfy yourself. You will never satisfy anybody else. It is a what have you done for me lately world. You will always be chasing that carrot. The sacrificial system can never completely justify you. Else, when you made that game-winning shot, you could step back and say, that's it. I'm done. I have worth forever. But the very next game, you're going to go out there and you're going to blow an easy layup as the buzzer runs out and you're going to lose, and then it's all done. You're going to be back at the bottom of the pit, and you're going to have to fight to get yourself back up there. The sacrificial system will never work because it's not permanent. It's a treadmill you can never get off of. Here's the fourth thing. Your self-justification system, like the sacrificial system in the Old Testament, will only serve to remind you that you aren't worthy. The things that we try to get our worth out of only remind us when we look really closely at them that they really don't make us worthy. Look at verse verse 3 here. Those sacrifices are actually an annual reminder of sin because it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. You offer sacrifices... They can't actually work. Instead, what they remind you is that you just constantly sin, right? 
So th- 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 those of you who know, to, to go back to some of these same analogies, those of you know that parenting is a nonstop reminder that you're not a good parent. Nonstop. And you can make, I mean, you're supposed to work hard at this. You're supposed to pray that God will give you the Holy Spirit to help you do this. But it is one failure after the other. If you get your self-worth out of your parenting, and I know that you do because I see your Facebook post. I see you talk. I see, you, I, I see us. I, I, I myself have the temptation to carve out space so that my kids are the good kids. You know, I, I want this space where I can look at your kids and say, well, my kids would never do that. And it doesn't work. And then I'm like, oh, my kids aren't as good as their kids. What am I doing wrong? That kind of game, it's just a reminder to me that I'm not a good parent. My sermons are a reminder to me that I'm not a good preacher. My golf game is a reminder to me that I'm not a good golfer. My marriage is a reminder to me that I'm a bad husband. My friendships are all reminders to me that I'm a bad friend. And you can say, oh, well, you're just too down on yourself, or like, that's just too negative. You're not going to ever be able to live your life that way. And I'm going to say, you're whistling in the graveyard. You actually are somehow figured out a way to numb yourself, or to get drunk on some, some something so that you actually aren't looking at who you are. This is who we are. We could never satisfy our own standards for being the perfect whatever it is. You fill in the blank. The sacrificial system can never satisfy us because it just sacrifices. That's all it is. You're just giving up stuff and not getting anything back. It's only a shadow. It's not the real thing. It's only a shadow of the real good permanent thing, which is God's love for you and Jesus. It's a treadmill that you can never get off of. Your self-justification will never reach the point where you're like, 10 out of 10, I'm there. And then finally, it's only going to remind you that you're not as good as what you want to be. Your your pursuit of worthiness will ultimately only remind you that you're not worthy. Now, what's God's plan? That's actually our text from this morning. So when we got to verse 5, he jumps into God's alternative to this, and it goes like this. Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, now he's going to quote from Psalm uh, 40, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. With burnt offerings and sin offerings you weren't pleased. Then I said, here I am. This is actually David saying this, but the, but Hebrew, the, the preacher of Hebrews is going to assume that it's not David. It's actually about Jesus. Here I am. It's written about me in the scroll. I've come to do your will, O God. Now, he's going to unpack that. So verses 8 and 9, look at this. Verses 8 and 9, he's explaining, he's expounding verses 5 through 7. He says, sacri- so for, he says, first of all, read that part about sacrifices and offerings, burnt offerings and sin offerings you didn't desire, nor were you pleased with them. So God did not want the sacrificial system. God does not want you carving out your own sense of self-worth from your own actions. He doesn't want you trying to justify yourself, to justify your own existence. Instead, he says this, verse 9, here I am, I've come to do your will. That's what he says second. So he sets aside the first, the part about the sacrifices, God not wanting those, to establish the second, the part about God. Now here's God's will. And here's what's God, here's what God's will is. Look back up at verse five, last line of verse five. But a body you prepared for me. You didn't want sacrifices, but a body you prepared for me. What's this talking about? It's talking about the incarnation. This is talking about God's plan. So God has a sacrificial plan. That plan is only designed to point out to us that we're not good enough, that we're just spinning our wheels, that you actually can't be a good enough golfer to make everybody happy, to make yourself happy. Instead, his plan to fix this problem is to get himself a body. I want a body. I want to become a human being. And then I'm going to write myself into the story. We don't need more, here's what he's saying, we don't need more directions. We don't need to be taught better how to be a better golfer. We don't need more parenting books. Although parenting books are fine, you know, but golf instruction is great. We don't actually need those to fulfill ourselves. What we need 
is for God to write himself into our story to fix everything. I was listening to, this is really sad, I was listening to this podcast recently about, uh, do you guys remember this in 2009, uh, Air France uh, 447, Flight 447, it came out of Brazil, and it was headed to Paris, and somewhere out over the Atlantic, uh, the autopilot turned off, and it was probably because uh, some of the, uh, the sensor tubes on the outside of the plane got froze over. And the pilots, uh, there, were, there was a, a, a captain, a co-pilot, and an engineer. They noticed that they were losing altitude, and they could not, for the life of them, figure out why. And um, they were scrambling around inside the cockpit. They were monkeying with the controls. Uh, they were trying to add, um, uh, uh, what, what, they, they had the throttles revved up. They tried to lift the nose. They tried to lower the nose. And they didn't, they couldn't tell what their orientation was. It was night and the, the, the instruments were kind of wonky. All they could see was that they were losing altitude fast. And they're trying to do everything they could to rescue it. And there's, you know, they're at 33,000 feet. And there's a, there's a point. Actually, what happened was, is they were in a deep stall. They had the plane like this. And it could no longer, it, it could no longer get lift. It wasn't going fast enough. So there was really nothing for them to do. They were just going down. And there's a point at like 16,000 feet where if you're not out of a deep stall in a commercial liner, it's just, you're, you're done. At, underneath 16,000 feet, you just don't have time to get it pulled out. And they hit that point, and still they're desperately trying to get the nose down. They're trying to get altitude, and they never do. They never do. 224 people died and in the middle of the night and hit the, it hit the Atlantic Ocean, and they died. And I was listening to this podcast, and you're thinking, like, what could they have done? They actually were doing everything they were trained to do. And there was, like, one bit of information that they didn't have. And that was what cost them. But they're scrambling around in the cockpit, trying to figure out everything. You know, what they needed was they needed to some, somebody to go back, rewind the story, and somebody who had designed the plane to get into the cockpit with them and fix it, to just fix it. They couldn't, there was nothing that they could do because everything that they could do wasn't good enough. And that's where our lives are in. And if this is too negative, I mean, I, 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 would, I would love to be like positive and cheery and you can do it and just put your mind to it. That's actually not the story of the Bible. The story of the Bible is this. We're in a cockpit and we're in a deep stall and we're losing altitude extremely quickly. And there's all kinds of things that we can do. There's all kinds of things that we can do to like try and grapple with this. I probably need to go get golf lessons. I probably do. You need to work harder at school. You probably need to be more focused at work. You need to take your wife out to dinner and have a conversation with her. All these good things that you can do, but the honest fact is, is that you're in deep stall. And what you need is for the designer of the plane to miraculously show up in the middle of the cockpit and say, push that button, pull back on this stick, push this throttle forward, and, and let's get out of here. That's what you need. And that's what the body is. God takes upon himself a human body so that he can insert himself into our existence and fix the thing. He's a novelist that's writing a story, and the story's junky, and it's all going bad. And the only thing he has left to do is to write himself as a character into his own novel and fix the whole shebang. And in fact, that's what he's done. He's becoming, this is what Christmas is about, right? He's become a human being so that he can carry on us our unworthiness. 
So he can be the bad golfer that we are, the bad husband, the bad parent, the bad worker, the unfaithful friend, the lousy with money guy, the good with money guy, the bad lawn guy, the great lawn guy. He can carry all these different points of shame and failure, and I just never can get it quite perfect on himself, on himself on the tree, so that it can be true what this last line says. It can be true of us that we will have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Amen.